Welcome to This Fundraising Life, a podcast about much more than just the numbers. I'm Heather Yando, a fundraising expert and the creator of the Individual Donor Benchmark Project. Today's guest is Mary Hackett, founder of Ravella Insights and a fellow data nerd. I hope you enjoy our discussion of what data to track, how to get started with data, and how to use the data you've collected. Mary, thank you so much for being on this fundraising life to talk about one of my favorite topics, data. (laughs) Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Heather. I'm really excited to talk to you about a, a number of things, but I wanted to start with one of our findings from the Individual Donor Benchmark Project this year. Uh, So each year after folks fill out the survey, we ask them, how long did it take you to fill this out? And partially that's because I'm curious to see um, if the survey is the right size, but also it helps me just judge how much folks are paying attention to their data outside of the survey. Mm-hmm. So we found this year that it took about an hour to gather the data for the survey. And we only had you know, nine core metrics and then a few other questions to round out the data. So my sense is that data tracking remains pretty challenging for small nonprofits. Right. What's your sense of, of why that's so challenging? Well, you know, my first reaction is an hour, an hour isn't too bad if that's, you know, kind of your average uh, time that it took, you know, an organization to pull it. That's, that's not terrible. But I do think that one, nonprofits today, are they, they're leaner and leaner. So sometimes putting data in is a very different skill set than getting it out which is sometimes a different skill set than building a coding structure that allows you to get that data out. Uh-huh. So when I, look at some of the, <laughs> when I look at some of the metrics, some of the things that were probably simple for organizations to pull would be, you know, how many individuals gave, you know, these are very simple codes that are baked into most databases. But when you start to look at things like how many individuals gave recurring gifts or gave online, when you start to go that level deeper, it all depends on a coding structure and you have to have a good coding structure to get good data out. So could you say a little bit more about what you mean when you say coding structure? Because I think I get it, but I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Well, their constituents should be coded, of course. So you have, you know, individuals, family foundations, corporations. So you have these bigger, broader kind of buckets that you can group constituents into. Um, a lot of the challenge starts to come with gifts because donors give in a variety of different ways over multiple fiscal years. Uh, and then, you know, funds change and your GL codes change. And there's a lot of activity that goes into maintaining a healthy code structure. So of course you have to work with, you know, your IT department for online things. You have to work with your finance department to make sure that your funds still match what their funds are. But essentially a lot of organizations struggle when it comes to the actual gift coding, not the gift date or the gift type, but really the appeal that it came in through and the designation. And once once those kind of go sideways, reporting is really, really challenging. Absolutely. So one of the ways that I sometimes talk about this is uh, the architecture 
you know, the, the, the structure on which your data sits in some ways, and that these codes are part of that. And you have to have the architecture right. If you don't, then as you're putting in more and more data, it's going to be really challenging to get anything useful out. That's correct. Consistency is key. Mm, absolutely. So, Mary, you've seen our data brief uh, and also the, the set of questions that we sent out. And I'm curious about what you see as the key metrics that organizations should really be paying attention to year after year. What are the ones that really matter? Yeah, so I think there are some really critical temperature checks that organizations can look at, whether they're looking at the last fiscal year or they're, they're looking at the last five fiscal years, which both are important. You know, the last fiscal year is going to give you a snapshot of how your donors are behaving. But, the, but going back maybe three or five fiscal years looks at how their behavior has changed, uh, which can be just as important. So I think some of the, the really critical temperature checks is your retention rate. What is your retention rate from one year to the next? And are you keeping donors for three plus consecutive years? If you're, you know, the national average, depending on the source, there's a couple different sources out there, but it ranges between 41 and 45%, which is really a systemic issue in our sector. So whether or not when you calculate your retention rate, whether or not you're above or below, you know, the national average, retention rate really lets you know if you're if you're stewarding your donors properly, because if you are, they'll continue to, to give. Um, and if you're communicating with them about the impact that their gift has made. So I think retention is one of those really critical metrics. Uh, and sometimes one way to really snap your retention rate into focus is to look at your attrition. So if you review the number of lost donors and how much revenue you lost by not bringing those donors back, it, it might shock you. And that usually helps you or helped me for many years focus on getting my retention rate up was to look at to look at the loss and really put it into perspective. Absolutely. I was I was working with somebody um, a few months ago who uh, had been on a campaign for a few years to get to a thousand donors and they finally reached it and they were really excited about it. And then as they looked at their retention rate. They actually had a pretty good retention rate, but they realized they needed to find 365 new donors just to keep up with their retention rate. Again, yeah. they had a high retention rate, but that what became that became the rallying cry for the board and the staff to say, "We've done a great job. We've met this goal. But we can't stop now because um, our retention rate isn't 100%. It's never going to be 100%. So we have to keep paying attention to bringing in new donors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, attrition is part of the game. You, you know, you're going to, every organization loses donors. You have, you know, priorities change, um, things you care about change. Uh, you know, a friend is diagnosed with a disease and you, you, you change your giving. I mean, things happen. Um, but but you're absolutely right, and that's such a great example of the thousand donors. Is if they reached their thousand donors and said, "Hooray, we're done with their current retention rate, which is like sixty plus percent," mm -hmm. in three years they 
down to, you know, three or 400 donors. Yeah. Yeah. It, it happens really quickly. It does. Um, so I, I think another, another interesting metric would, would be to look at the donors that you can recover because lapsing and attrition is part of the game. Are you inspiring your long lapsed donors to come back and give? And then what's the median gift from that group of donors? Mm. Nine times out of 10 in the donor sets that we look at, the, the median gift from recovered donors is usually two or three X what a first time donor would give. So if you have a finite budget and you're trying to decide what to use this finite budget on, um, you know, time and, uh, you know, expenses, you want to, you want to go for the biggest bang, which sometimes always isn't new donors. You might go after your long lapsed. Yeah. I've, I haven't heard that statistic before, but it's really compelling to me, this idea that your lapsed donors can give, you said two to three times what a new donor might give to the organization. Yes. And you'll, they actually, once they come back, you have a higher chance of retaining them the very next year. Your first time donor is your most vulnerable population. Hmm. So they need extra uh, care and love um, so that their relationship with the organization grows. Absolutely. Great. So those are some fantastic suggestions of where folks should really be paying attention to determine the health of their organization. Another question that I often get is where an organization that doesn't have a lot of staff or resources, we haven't been paying attention to data, but we want to start. How should we prioritize our time? Where, where should we start? So what advice might you have for an organization like that? Sure, sure. Well, you, every organization should have some sort of database, some sort of place where you're keeping track of your constituents and those gifts that those that group is making. Now, the, the great thing about the time we live in is there are so many choices for databases. I mean, based on functionality, based on pricing, you know, if you want, you know, only a mobile app. I mean, there's, there's so many choices today, whereas, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, there were, you know, three choices. So, Databases these days are much more affordable. You don't have to jump into the biggest, most robust database possible. There are amazing databases out there for $30 a month that will house, not only house your constituent data and your gift data, they'll help you raise more money. I mean, some of these databases are so intuitive that they'll they'll start to, to ping you when somebody has missed a pledge payment. They'll wow. start- you when um, it's time for a donor to give again. So it's it's really not about housing data. It's about having a robust system. And housing is just one of the benefits. I mean, the true reason to have a database is to help you raise more money. A database is a fantastic place to start. And we actually, in this year's individual donor benchmark data brief, have some great feedback on the top nine databases. Um, so almost everybody in our survey reported they were using a database. So kudos to those folks. Um, and we've got some yes. good rankings on favorite databases. Do you happen to have a, a favorite database? 
gosh, there's so many great choices. And I think it really, at the end of the day, comes down to the functionality you're looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, I've gotten that question many times. And I do have a favorite database, but I also spent most of my fundraising career in healthcare, so I'm used to one database. But I think that one thing that organizations struggle with is where to start when you when you actually are looking for a database. And the answer to that question is to start thinking about functionality. And there's mm -hmm. really there's really eight questions um, that we ask a nonprofit when they're thinking about a new database. Those questions help get at least narrow down the field to maybe three or five options instead of 30 options. So things like, you know, how important is it for you to access the database when you're away from the office? And that really what we're getting at is, do you need a cloud-based solution? Another question is, you know, how much importing and exporting of data would you do in your new database? Well, you know, based on, so based on some of these functionalities, we can then narrow down and say, gosh, here are four databases that fit all your functionality, including the price, and are essentially made for your organization. Those eight questions sound like they are super useful because I, I've definitely worked with organizations who feel completely overwhelmed by the number of choices. And yes. so having some way to kind of wade through those choices would be really helpful. Yeah, and I'd, I'd be happy to share those questions, um, and, but I'd also be happy to share, Heather, with your listeners, we actually have a scorecard. So, you know, once an organization answers those questions, we then populate a scorecard that puts those three to five databases, you know, right next to each other and compares them based on the desired functionality. So I'm, I'd be happy to share a scorecard uh, with your listeners. That would be fantastic. So we will link to that in the show notes so folks can find that. Um, I think that'd be super helpful. Great. So one of the things that I think is really helpful is to know what mistakes you should avoid when you're thinking about tracking data. So we've already started to wade into this, I think, a little bit. So be sure you're really paying attention to coding of data have a database, exclamation point, is one mistake. Don't, don't not have a database. Yes. Um, what else would you say are some of the mistakes that our listeners should avoid when they are thinking about tracking and using data? One is I don't think your database should be the phone book. Don't put every constituent that comes across your email and or your, you know, only in your donor database, it should be full of donors and people who are very close to making a gift. And I think that's important for several reasons. One is that putting a slew of non-donors in your donor database, um, not only does it drive your record count up, which is how some of these databases are priced is by the record count, it tends to uh, weigh your database down and throw off reports and things like that. So I would say the first thing is it shouldn't be the phone book. This, this a donor database is meant to be constituents that are close to your organization and close to making a gift if they haven't already. I think the other big mistake is waiting to put gifts in. Again, your database is meant to help you be better stewards of your donors. So the quicker you put your data in, the quicker you can thank them. And so it allows you in most, again, in most databases today, it, with three clicks, you're printing your acknowledgement letters. 
but you have to get the data in there first before you can use that functionality. Mm. So I think getting data in in a timely way and putting the right data in, is are, those are two monumental things uh, to consider. That makes sense. And then this other idea that you harped on earlier, which I so appreciate, is just consistency. So the more consistent you can be as you put in that data quickly, but not all of the data, not everyone, that also will really help us get good data in our databases. Yes. So once you have good data, then you can start to look at all kinds of great metrics. I mean, your revenue raised and how it's changed over the last several fiscal years. Uh, we talked about retention rate and attrition, but your, your total donor pool, how's your donor pool changing? You know, without having those those constituents and, and their gifts, you know, in any kind of uniform way, you just you just can't plan good strategy, you know, data driven strategy. Agreed. That totally makes sense. So one of the things that I hear a lot from from people and the, and the one of the reasons that I started the individual donor benchmark project is because once we've got this data, we can compare to ourselves, but often we want to be able to compare our data to others like us. Yeah. So where else should people be looking for this kind of comparison or benchmarking data? What other resources do you look at? Well, of course, I look at the uh, individual donor benchmark study, but I also, you know, I look to Giving USA, which is, um, you know, they put out an annual report to the nonprofit community. Unfortunately, there's, there are not many global, and, and I, I don't mean global as in like the world, but global as in the entire nonprofit sector. There aren't many reports that span all the different uh, subsectors within the sector. So what I tend to find is that universities do benchmarking and there's an outlet for that, or healthcare systems, or, you know, boys and girls clubs, you know, so what I'm seeing is that, you know, if you're a member of a certain association, it, it might be a little easier to participate in and get benchmarking results. But sadly, uh, there's there are not many resources out there to benchmark yourself against. Yeah, Giving USA is one of the ones that I often recommend. Um, and we will link to that in the show notes as well so folks can find that really easily. So the other reason why we want to track this data is not just to help ourselves understand what's going on in our own organizations, but also to be able to communicate that to other people in our organizations. So do you have any uh, resources that you might suggest that help people communicate data? I do, I do. So. I learned very early on when I started doing benchmarking analytics and things is that anything that you can do in a visual capacity tends to be much more digestible and quickly understood. So I think you've hit the nail on the head, Heather, is there are stakeholders inside your organization and outside your organization. And you, one of the important factors you know, of success is communication. So being able to communicate with your executives, with your board, with your finance department, you know, with your program staff, you know, you're raising money so that they can do what they do best. When you're doing that is to really think about how to communicate 
a lot of data in a very easy visual way. And we use, uh, here at Ravella, we use a couple different tools. You know, we love canva.com. We do almost everything that we produce is infographic based. So we love Canva, we love PictoChart. Uh, there are a couple other uh, really inexpensive ways that you can upload data and then turn it into something that people can look at, understand, potentially ask questions, but walk away knowing you know, what you've communicated with them. So I think what's important is visual and then finding the right tool like a Canva or a PictoChart. I think there are some others. Those are the two we, we like to use here. Instead of showing like a table, maybe you show a chart, um, just something to make it a little bit more visual that might start conversation. Yeah, Mary, you may be like me. I can look at a chart and and understand it. I can I can map that into a visual in my own head and see what the chart is trying to tell me. See what the what the table is trying to tell me. But a lot of folks don't work like that. And I've learned that the hard way a few times. And so now when I'm sharing data, almost universally, I am sharing it in a very edited format that has great visuals because that's the way the message really gets across. That's the way folks who, who aren't numbers people, who aren't data people can really digest it and get the point easily. Well, and even, I think it even helps fundraisers. One thing that maybe a good example is to look at your gift pyramid or your donor distribution. If you're looking at a table of numbers and you're going through the numbers, it might not strike you that one gift level is out underperforming. But if you literally charted it out, it is gonna be clear as day that a certain level is underperforming. So not only does it help other stakeholders or other departments and help you, or you communicate with your donors, I think it can help the fundraiser. Absolutely. Sometimes charting your data is the way that you pick out what the learnings first, or you really better understand your own data. Mm -hmm. exactly. So one resource I'll throw in there is um, called Storytelling with Data. I don't know if you've ever seen that website, but they, they have one of my favorite ongoing posts that's almost an extreme home makeover with data. And so they'll show a, a, a chart that's really boring or a, um, a graph that's uninspired, and they'll show you all the steps they take to make it into something that is much more powerful. It sounds awesome. Yeah, so we'll link to that in the show notes as well. So Mary, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about your company, about Ravella Insights and the kind of work that you do. Sure, sure. Well, I was a major gift officer for 15 years. And I think just like you, Heather, I, I am a data person and I like to have data help me make decisions but there really wasn't a tool out there that would help me as a major gift officer make you know, really solid strategic decisions. So essentially, uh, I built a tool that you know, takes your donor data, we run it through our software, and it kind of pumps out a very beautiful landscape of how your donors are behaving. How do they come in? How long do they stay? When do they peak? How long does it take them to get up to the major gift level? You know, is there something happening that 
throws them onto, you know, a better velocity or better trajectory. And essentially what we do at Ravella Insights is, you know, whether we're cleaning up your database or using that data to help you make better decisions, it's all about just understanding your donor landscape. And we also try to tackle some of the challenges that are facing the nonprofit sector. You know, we're we're working on a new product that is for people that are coming into a fundraising job and will help get them up to speed in record time. So as you know, the turnover in our sector is shockingly high. So our hope is that if a fundraiser or an executive comes in, understands the landscape, can build data-driven smart strategy, they might stick around in those jobs and they might be more successful. So essentially, we all we do all day long is help fundraisers and build tools for fundraisers. I love it. I'm I'm intrigued by this new tool. So I will I'll definitely be interested in learning more about that. Oh, good, good. Coming soon. Excellent. So as we wrap up, any last words of wisdom or advice for our listeners? <laughs> well, um, you know, keep your keep your data healthy. Keeping your data healthy is all really about being kind to your future self. <laughs> And so that I think is important. I also think it'll you know help you raise more money. So I know that uh, being in a database can be somewhat cumbersome, and you're you know entering things, but you know at the end of the day you're you're entering them for a very very important purpose. It's not just putting data into a depository and it's just going to sit there forever. The key is to take that data and use it uh, to build great strategy. So thank your gift entry person uh, and thank them soon. (laughs) (laughs) That is great advice. Great advice. Well, thank you so much, Mary, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, Heather. Thanks for joining us on this fundraising life. Remember that you can always find show notes and links to more episodes at thirdspacestudio.com slash podcast. We want to hear your questions and comments. Please shoot us an email at podcast at thirdspacestudio.com and let us know what questions you have and what topics you want us to cover in the future. And if you haven't yet, download this year's donor data at thirdspacestudio.com slash IDB project.